warm welcome to our evening service. Trust the Lord will bless you and encourage you. And very warm welcome to our visitors. Nice to see you. Lord bless you. Lord willing, we'll, the ladies will meet on Wednesday at 2.30. And the speaker is Mercy Field. Gary will be taking our Bible study Thursday at 7.30. And we're hoping that that will be a Zoom. Sunday, next Sunday, God willing, 11 o'clock, half to six, we expect Howard Sayer locally from Market Street. Let's just bow Again, Father, we thank you for the privilege of evening worship. Thank you for the privilege of meeting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, worship the great God of heaven. And we trust by the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit himself. Bless us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Our first hymn is number 31, 31, hymn of worship and praise to our God. I'll read the first verse. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All you here, brothers and sisters, draw near. Praise him in glad adoration. Number 31.
come before God in prayer and just pray together. We thank Thee, our Father, that we can begin with a great hymn of praise to the Lord God Almighty. As we come again to You, we thank You for the privilege of so doing. We realize it is our great privilege. It's not as if we are adding anything to you. It's not as if you should be grateful. We made an effort to come out tonight. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, that we are the ones that should humble ourselves in your presence. We are the ones that should be extremely grateful that we are found in this place this night. Not that we would take credit for that. Not that we would think we were better than anybody else because we are here. In fact, in some ways we are far worse. But we thank you, O oh Lord, for the privilege of meeting a place like this where we can meet folk of similar minds and hearts and kindred spirits. We can hear the word of God read and proclaimed in our fellowship. And we can seek to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you for this little place. There may be but few. But we believe that we are a few chosen of God chosen in Christ, even before the foundation of the world. So we thank you for that. We thank you we come, O oh Lord, to, to praise you, and to acknowledge your greatness and your kindness, your faithfulness. Your faithfulness, as the psalmist, above the clouds, uh, the height, the depth, the length and breadth of your faithfulness, of your love, of your grace. Uh, we thank you that the, the scripture teaches that where sin abounded, grace did much more about. Thank thee that uh, your grace covers all our sins. There may be many, but your grace is sufficient for all our sins, a multitude of sins, past, present, future. The grace of God is so great, uh, even to such as we. We acknowledge that. Gladly we acknowledge that. We are indebted. Oh, to grace, our greater debtor, Daily I'm constrained to me, says the hymnist. And we are constrained for that grace. Some of us have known that grace for many, many years, perhaps some more recently. But it's all been of grace. We are persuaded that it's not of ourselves, it's not of our good works or our good deeds, because what we've done and made an effort because of God's sheer grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in that because we are conscious in ourselves that we could never earn the favor of God. We could never merit it. We could never attain to a, a, a position where we could, we could say, well, Lord, here I am. Now you can have me, accept me because look what I've, what I've achieved. Look what I've done. We could never ever be in that state come simply as sinners to a saviour. We thank you, O Lord, that uh, the gospel is about a saviour who welcomes and receives sinners unto himself. We remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how they hated the Lord Jesus. They said, look at him, look at him. He's eating, he's eating with these sinners, these tax collectors, these prostitutes. He's eating with them and he's telling them about God. How dare he? If he was a real prophet, he wouldn't have any dealings with them. Ironically, the truth was, he was the prophet of God, the eternal son of God. And he came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. 
and so he did and so he does and so he will do yea until he comes again so we thank you for our saviour we thank you for the saviour of sinners we come O Lord tonight to, to seek you and for help and to make the gospel known to folk who as yet do not believe do not uh, know the gospel or not interested in the gospel there are so many outside uh, in Hailsham and district some of our friends, some of our workmates some of you, perhaps even our families and neighbours we long for them to know the joy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, know, we, we long that they might know the satisfaction we have in trusting in him, the peace we have that comes from believing that he is the saviour, yea, the only saviour of men and women. So we pray, Father, that you'd have mercy upon Haitian. Uh, we have mercy upon those who, who think they are good enough but the truth be told they're not good enough for God I pray for those who think they're too bad for God God wouldn't be interested in them because they're such terrible people but they're not too bad that the Lord Jesus cannot reach down to them and pick them up out of a horrible pit says the psalmist he picked me out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay he delivered me from that set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings and put a new song in my heart even praise to our God hallelujah so we pray that you would have mercy upon uh, Hailsham and yea Sussex as a county uh, county that's known much blessing in days gone by little churches chapels here there and everywhere the gospel proclaimed and yet alas so many are not uh, longer places of worship closed down turned into other things demolished Oh, have mercy upon Sussex, we pray. And once again, the gospel banner might f uh, flourish. Once again, the gospel might be freely proclaimed. Once again, that people might be urged to seek God, to be reconciled to God. Uh, they need to know that they have sins which must be forgiven, and the only way they can be forgiven is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for sinners who come and believe in him so we pray that you bless us this night encourage us from your word we pray challenge us if need be but oh Lord have glory to your great name for Jesus sake Amen our next hymn is 253 253 say him about his saviour and his dying on our behalf the place called Calvary and then being then ascended and exalted so says Thomas Kelly the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now a royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's crown stand to sing 250 
reading tonight is from Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. I was thinking about Acts because we do it on a Bible study when I take the Bible study. Um, we go through Acts slowly, very slowly. I thought, well, if you're going to preach a sermon from Acts 18, you might cover that in a Bible study. Well, that'll probably be 10 years' time, so you've forgotten all about it then. Anyway, we're going to read from Acts chapter 18. Paul in chapter 17 has been preaching at Athens, and now we are told. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, latterly come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them Wrought, uh, and wrought for their occupation they were tent makers and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks but when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justus, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house and many of the Corinthians herein believed and were baptized then spake the Lord to Paul in a night by a vision be not afraid but speak and hold not thy peace for I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee for I have much people in this city Continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. May the Lord bless his own word to our hearts. We will sing 779, 779. It's in the section of zeal and service, our service for God. Lord, speak to me, that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone, as thou hast sought so let me seek thy erring children lost and lost. Seven, seven, nine.
just bow our heads for a moment. Our gracious Father, again, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge it is your word, the word of men, the very word of God. We pray as we hear it, we hear it as the word of God, although it's spoken by a mere man. We pray you bless it our hearts and encourage us and do us good. For Jesus' sake. text this evening is from Acts chapter 18 and verse 10, where God says to Paul, I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people, or many people, in this city. I have many people in this city. My purpose for doing this is to encourage us. We need to be encouraged. We're living in dark and difficult and dismal days. We're living in days when the response to the gospel, certainly in the UK, is sparse and rare. Rarely do we hear of, of many folk coming to hear the gospel and then believe in the gospel. Thankfully, God is at work uh, in other parts of the world. Lots of folk, hundreds, thousands come in in other parts as the gospel is preached. But here in the UK, seemingly, we're living in dark and dismal days. And we need to be encouraged as we seek to make the gospel known. And uh, I must confess, I do love this little verse and the context in which we find it. So let's look a little, firstly then, at the context in which of this verse. We read in the first verse of chapter 18, after these things. Chapter 17, Paul has been in Athens. He's been preaching to the select, to the educated, the intelligent, intellectual. He's been debating with them, philosophers of Greek, Greek philosophers with all their learning and so so forth. Uh, They'd be very interested in him and Something new has come along. What's this new teaching? Let's have a little listen to him. Yes, that's okay. And then uh, when he starts talking about Jesus and the resurrection, well, they don't want to know anymore. He declares unto them the unknown God. There's so many gods. There's this God, that God, all these Greek gods, all hundreds of them, as it were. And in case they miss out, they have this little plaque to the unknown God. They reveal as there may be somebody else they missed. With all their gods, there must be one they missed. So the unknown God. He says, I want to tell you about that unknown God, the Lord God. Anyway, so he leaves Athens and he comes to Corinth. Now, Corinth was about 48 miles west of Athens. Probably he went there by boat. Uh, it was a port. And uh, in at the time about 50 AD, uh, we are told that Corinth was very populous and a populous city. It was a typical port-type uh, city, as you'd have in England and Wales uh, these days. It was rebuilt by the Caesars, and occupied by Roman freemen. It contained a mix of Romans, Greeks, and Jews. It was a very wealthy city. It was a centre of trade from Rome to the east. Sadly, as oft is the case, although it doesn't have to be, but oft is the case with docks and ports and such like. Uh, it was a very immoral city, very pagan, pagan temples. Uh, I've read that uh, one uh, 
temple had a thousand female slaves for the use of the so-called worshippers in the sacred, sacred shrines. And in fact, it was so bad that other cities around about, remember they weren't, they weren't Christian cities, uh, or necessarily religious cities, but the other cities round about Corinth used to uh, talk about someone who was, who was very immoral and, and degraded and so forth, and they used the word to Corinthian, Corinthian eyes. Right? That, if, they, if they described that, that was the very worst. That was the depths of the depths. Such was the, uh, the state of Corinth. And we read about Paul preaching there, and also later on in the New Testament, we read about Paul writing a letter to a church at Corinth. He wrote the first letter, second letter, and some think there was actually a third as well. Certainly in the New Testament, we have two letters to this church. So, in spite of the fact that this place was so rotten, morally and spiritually and all the rest of it, nevertheless, a church was established by the grace of God. And we have a description of some of the folk that lived there. Um, it's not very pleasant, but I read it to you because it's just plain fact. That's, that's what we're told in the Bible. And so Paul writes to uh, the Corinthians and he says, you know, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Uh, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. All these kind of people lived and abounded in Corinth. And yet to that place, Paul was sent by the grace of God. And that's an encouragement to start with. You say, how can that encourage us? Well, aren't we living in similar days? Would that be wrong to describe Hailsham, Eastbourne, Brighton in these terms? It sums us up, doesn't it, as a nation? Generally speaking? No, not everything is as bad as bad can be. But certainly, we have this abounding in our land. We're a pagan land. We're living in a land of superstition and where Bible knowledge, I'm not talking about Bible belief now, but Bible knowledge is rare, even amongst adults of 60 plus. There was a time when those of 50 or 60 plus in Britain had some knowledge of the Bible, of what God had said in the Bible. Whether they believed it or not, well, they knew what the Bible was because of going to a church from little uh, to Sunday schools and so forth, from going to um, day school where they had an assembly and the headmaster, mistress, would read a part of the Bible to them. And they had lessons in religious education, which was Christian-based, Bible-based. But alas, alas, that's far longer and people have more idea of Islam and Buddhism and transmutation meditation than they do of the Bible we live in a pagan time but be encouraged because Paul lived in such days and by the grace of God and the power of the spirit things change and God can do it you have to believe that it seems an impossible task as you will see in a moment or two, um, God did something wonderful and glorious. Okay.
So here's this place Corinth. There's one synagogue there. We know about that because we're told. So there may have been some, there were some who did have a belief in one God, the Lord God Jehovah. Miss all the many gods and false deities, there was one little synagogue at least where there were Jewish people who had some kind of idea of worship the God of the Bible, albeit the Old Testament. And then the other thing that's amazing is this, that Paul has a, such a love for the lost. This is what motivates him. Right? The love of Christ constrains us. He could have said, what, me go to Corinth? Never ever. Why should I want to go to that filthy, dirty place, morally speaking? And why would I go amongst those pagans? I don't want to go there. But Paul had a love for people who were lost. He had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal saviour. And he longed to tell others about him. We talked this morning about the woman of Samaria. And uh, we, we said that she left her water pot by the well where Jesus was. And she went into the city to tell the men there. Come see a man who told me all things I ever I did. Is this not the Messiah? She was overwhelmed uh, with this joy welling up within her. She'd met Jesus and was determined to share him with others. And that's how it should be with every single Christian. It should be this longing for others. We look outside and think, and say, how dreadful is it there? see them on television, we hear them on the radio, we read them on the paper. How dreadful are these things? That should concern us to the extent that we pray for these folk. We plead for these folk. Don't be like Jonah, whom God sent to Nineveh to preach judgment. And he didn't want to go because he had a sneaking suspicion if he preached judgment to these people in Nineveh and they repented, God would say, all right, I'll let them off. I forgive them and he didn't want them to be forgiven he wanted them to be slammed and banged and bashed he didn't want them and that's why he was reluctant to go and you know the story well so here we are he departed from Athens he comes to Corinth and he found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontius come from Italy with his wife Priscilla now have you read that on the surface, he said, oh, that's, that's, that's a coincidence. That's a bit of luck, isn't it? He, he has met this, this Jewish couple, and they obviously get on well together, because uh, they're, they're both tent makers, all right? Uh, oh, that's handy. Well, read what it, listen to what it says. Because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. So here's Aquila. Priscilla, minding their own business, mending tents, making tents, whatever they were doing in Rome, and the Claudius, the emperor says, right, get out, all you, all you Jews, get out, get out, we don't want you here in our city. What a dreadful thing that is. Oh, and they could have gone and said, oh, how bad this is, how dreadful this is, this is a terrible thing that's happened to us. But, in the great providence of God, God uses that bad act to bring about good things. That's what God does in providence. He uses bad things to bring things that are good and glorious in the end for his purposes. Anyway, so they meet up and because, as I say, they're the same craft, they make tents and uh, that's how they get by. 
it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul was always, well, I say always, he was very self-sufficient. He didn't want to be a burden to the churches, to the fellowship. And if it meant he had to work with his hands, so he did. He made tents. Sometimes folk have to do that. They want to serve the Lord, but a church, a fellowship cannot support them, so they have to work. Paul wasn't afraid of hard work. And then on verse 4 says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. This was his practice. He was Jewish, and his first mission was to Jewish people. Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So he begins his ministry amongst Jewish people, which is right and proper. So he preaches in the synagogue. And uh, he testifies in verse 5. He starts saying to these Jewish people, Listen now, you need to know that the Messiah has arrived. This one you've longed for, this one of whom the prophets spoke uh, in the old, what we call the Old Testament, he has come, he's arrived. The Messiah has come, and his name is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, they didn't like that. Blasphemed, we are told. Uh, they did dreadful things. And he says, right. If you don't want it, I will go. I've told you the truth. I've told you about the Messiah. You're waiting for He's arrived. If you don't want to hear that, I will go elsewhere. I will go to the Gentiles. Much of his ministry then, further on, later on, was amongst the Gentiles. Although, obviously, he never forgot the Jewish people. And so he departed from there. He departed from that synagogue. Where did he go? He went next door. <laughs> I, I must confess, I, I always smile when you read that, right? Here he's in the synagogue, right? You don't want me here, I'm off go. Where am I going to go? I'm going next door. Goes next door because um, there's a man there called Justice who uh, worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And then amazingly, Christmas, the chief ruler of the synagogue, he believes on the Lord with all his house. And then amazingly, many of the Corinthians hear and believe and are baptized. This is great, isn't it? This is great. And then you wonder, as he goes to bed that night, what am I going to do for the future? Do I really want to stay in Corinth? Had opposition, a bit from the Jewish people. Um, I'd probably have opposition from all this other crowd around, the superstitious and immoral and all the kind of things they are. Um, do I really want to stay here? Do I go to somewhere safer? This is a big city, big problems. Might I better be for me to go to a smaller city with smaller problems? We sometimes hear about folk who leave churches for various reasons. It's too big a church. I go to another church where you've got a problem in this church. So you go to another church, and guess what? They find problems there as well. And sometimes the problem isn't with the churches, it's with them. I'll be careful what I say. Anyway, so he's lying in bed thinking about these things. And in the night, God speaks to Paul by a vision. Now, don't worry too much about this vision thing, right? 
application God spoke to him and God doesn't normally speak to us by visions these days but we might he normally speaks to us clearly through his word as I uh, was thinking about this something came back to mind 50 odd years ago I'm a little lad of 17 18 I go to a scripture union conference in Barry Island South Wales some of you may know of Barry because of a certain man says we need a vision we need a vision for reaching the lost, we need a vision we must have a vision yeah, but this vision. so I'm thinking well I want a vision I want a vision to reach the lost I want a vision to tell people of Jesus so I'm lying in bed saying Lord give me a vision and I'm waiting for the vision to come and, and it doesn't come do you have a vision oh, that's so sad why hasn't God given me a vision because I, I realised then I was a bit slow then. Uh, and it was a concern, use the word vision, uh, but it was having a concern for the lost. I didn't mean I had a, a kind of metaphysical or whatever spiritual vision. A concern. But here God speaks clearly in person to him. And this is what God says. Firstly, be not afraid. Alright? That's the first thing. Be not afraid. Surely that implies that Paul is afraid. Why would you tell somebody, be not afraid, if they're not afraid? So he must be afraid to be told to be not afraid. Obvious. And I thought, well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Here's this mighty man, this apostle, this Paul, what a man he was great missionary teacher preacher what a man and yet he's afraid because he's only human did you realize that Paul is human he talks about uh, not being sufficient of himself he talks about this weak vessel he's a human being like you like me he has fears the word uh, Greek word is phobia and we, and we know about that of various things people are frightened of various things he's afraid. Perhaps with good reason. Naturally speaking he's afraid because of the opposition from the Jewish people, because of the opposition from the Gentiles he, he, and problems he may have in the fellowship, in the local church he's afraid. God says be not afraid. So often in the Bible so often God says to his people do not be afraid. Do not fear. There should be about us a peace that passes all understanding. The peace of God. There should be about us a sense of calmness. Because God has spoken in his word. And God all goes on to say, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Paul, you need to speak up. It may be that they will object to what you say. They may be that they'll call you names. It may be that they'll disagree with it. There may be all kinds of negative things. But there will be some who will hear you. There will be some who will believe what you say. There will be some who will come into the kingdom because of your witness. So speak up, Paul. Hold not your peace. 
He's not saying the same thing, but yes, it is. Positively, speak. Negatively, don't keep your peace. Speak up. Stand up. Speak up. Then shut up. This is what you must do. And then another encouragement. And I love these way, the way God encourages his people. He says, For I am with thee. I am with you. Don't be afraid. Speak. Hold not your peace. Why? Well, this is what you need to know, perhaps above, above and beyond all things. I am with you. I'm not sending you out there on your own. Say, get on with it, and I'll sit and watch how you go. You go, <coughs> and I will be with you. And throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, this is God's promise so often to his people. Fear not, that's one. Often there, in the, throughout the scripture. The other one is, for I am with you. Most of us know the great mission Jesus gave to the disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel. He has died, he has risen, he's about to ascend into heaven. He's going home to glory. And so he's there at the end of Matthew's gospel and virtually the last words that Matthew records of the Savior. This is what, we, what we're told. So Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's a big task. That's a huge job. I want you to go to all the nations. I want you to go and teach them and preach them. I want you to baptize them. All the things I've commanded, you go and do them. Wow! What a task! Then Jesus says, Lo, I am with you. Even to the end of How encouraging is that? How encouraging is to every Christian person, every Christian worker to, to know that whatever we seek to do for God, for the Savior, God is with us. Jesus is with us by the Spirit. In fact, the very, almost the last verse in the Bible, exactly the same, but almost the same, where we are told, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with you all. Okay. So, is that enough? It should be enough. But there's more. There's more. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. This is a difficult one. Why is it a difficult one? Well, because sometimes Paul was hurt. If you read Corinthians, he talks about the things, the tribulations he went through. Sometimes physical things. He was beaten, 40 stripes but one. They whipped him, they beat him. Uh, they did all kinds of terrible things to him, physically. Uh, and all the things he went through. So has God gone back on his promise? No. But what God would say here is that he will keep him and he will not die until he has accomplished the purpose of God. The purpose which God has for him, i.e. making God 
philosophy. No one shall hurt you. He will try, and he will tell what things to you, but I'll be with you till the point of time when it will be time for you to come home. And then the real phrase, and I think this is the big phrase. God says, For I have many people in this city. God says to Paul the Apostle, I want you to stay here in Corinth. I want you to preach and teach. Not to be afraid to speak, not to hold back. I am going to be with you. No man will hurt you. I'll show you. I will look after you. And I need you to know, and you need to know, I have many people in this city. Now, here's my little question. How does God know that he has many people in that city? Now, there's several answers folk might give. Some will say, well, it's obvious, isn't it? God knows everything. God is omniscient, all-knowing. God knows everything, uh, past, present, future. And because of his great foreknowledge, he knows who will respond to the gospel. He knows who will repent and believe in Jesus Christ. He died for sinners, rose again, and, and so forth. So God knows these things in advance. Therefore, he knows how many people will believe. It's all to do with God's foreknowledge. Well, that's one sense is correct, but not strictly correct. Because you see, God's foreknowledge, God knows everything that's going to happen, because God has foreordained everything. Now, for some people, this is a real problem. And it's, it's where you put your emphasis. Do you put your emphasis on man? Or do put your emphasis on God. Who is in control? Who determines what happens? Some would say, well, it's us. We have a free will, and we respond, we can respond, and we can't respond. It all depends upon us. And God is, is kind of waiting for us to respond. And God is inactive in this. He wants us to respond, and, and, and we can tell people the gospel, he has his people, his service to tell the people the gospel and invite them to come and invite them to believe. And then he just kind of waits. That's not really the God of the Bible. You see, the problem with God looking and keep waiting for us to, to respond and depending upon us to respond, what if we don't? Well, it's going to touch it, isn't it? You don't respond, you face the consequences. But it means or implies that God has failed. And that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is one who is sovereign and will succeed in accomplishing all his purposes. And the bottom line to this, and somebody say, oh, you're not on that again. Well, yes, I am on this again. The, the bottom line is, because God has chosen the people in Corinth before the foundation of the world that they might be saved. It's what they call divine election. 
And I tell you this, if I didn't believe this, I wouldn't preach the gospel. Because I cannot be sure that anybody would ever be saved by my preaching the gospel, by giving tracts, by talking them on the market still, by preaching the new opening, all the things we do, if there is no election, if there's no definite result at the end of it, then we cannot be certain that all our activity will be finally wasted. God Almighty will not have that. He has a determined plan, and it's so encouraging. It's a blessing. Now, people, people are strange, aren't they? They say, oh, I don't like that, because it, it does away with my freedom, with my rights. Your rights? Let me tell you about your rights. Your rights are the judgment of God. That's all your rights are. That's all you're entitled to. People say, oh, God is not fair. God, I want justice. Where's the God of justice? You want the God of justice? Bang! And you're in hell. That's God's justice. Don't want, you don't want justice from God. You want mercy. You want grace. God of justice has provided a way whereby sinners may be saved. And it's the only way. It's through his son and his atoning death. Sinners repenting and trusting in him. That's God's way. If you don't come God's way, you don't come at all. If God blasted us all to eternal destruction, no one can say, that's not fair. That's not right. That's what we deserve. Every single one of us. God in his grace, free grace, his hold upon some, will bring them to salvation. And even in Corinth, even in Corinth, I often repeat to you, and, uh, and you know what I'm going to say, almost before I say it, 1 Corinthians 1. So he's writing to these Corinthians, and he's saying, you know, the Greeks, they want something great and wisdom. Wisdom is the key word. The Jews, they want signs, wonders. But you know, the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And to the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But, and to them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. See this. If God only saved wise men and wise women, women, where would the likes of you and me be? You want to speak for yourself. You say, well, right, I want to speak for myself. If God only saved educated, intelligent, intellectual people, I don't know. You Failed by all levels. But I do In the wisdom of God, God determined that not by wisdom would people get saved. What about the Jews? All their religion and their rules and traditions. It's not by rules and traditions. Most religious person on earth needs salvation. So in the foolishness of God, it's by the preaching of the cross of Christ. And he says this, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, 
not many mighty, not many noble are called. Contrary, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world and to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world. Are you hearing this? And base things of the world and things which are despised, God hath chosen. Yea, and things which are not bring to naught things that are that no flesh and glory in his presence. This is glorious. Here's a man that he's so full of himself. He's done this, he's achieved that, he's attained, he's worked hard, and look at me, aren't I? God would be privileged to have me. Here's this little bloke. What does he know? What is he? He's nothing. He just falls on before God and so have mercy upon us. God says, You are accepted. You are rejected. Now, I mentioned half of a passage in chapter 6 of Corinthians. I described to you the kind of people that live there. Right? Read it again, be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, effeminate, abusers themselves in mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, none of those who shall inherit the kingdom of God. And he says this, and such was some of you. Pardon? Such was some of you. There were people in the church of who in time past were amongst all these people. Now, I don't know every one of you. I don't know your background. But as far as I know, you don't know much about me. As far as I know, you're kind of reasonable people. I don't know if any of you would come under this description here. Like what you But more or less, you're nice people. Imagine being in a church that is almost full of people who are ex, right? Deceivers, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers, drunkards, revelers, extortioners. Imagine being in a church of full of people like that. Oh. Such were some of you. Yesterday I, I was at the memorial service in Stanmore, my old church. I'm a lady died uh, she was Irish, Southern Irish and she was married to a South African and his name was Price William, was obviously a Welsh connection there but that's another story and he told me this story he told me how he came to faith he said I was in a jail in South Africa and the only book they gave me to read was the Bible I read through the Bible, up and down, inside out, upside down. So I saw all I had to read. And eventually, it was brought to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came from South Africa, he met this woman in Ireland, and told her the gospel, and she too came to faith. And I was amazed at the story, and I repeated it in the order sense. And I said, You know, this time, about forgiveness tears and all of his cheeks he 
such an out and out. He had three wives and various children by various wives. I said to his son, Dad never told me why he was in prison. And he said, well, he liked the look of a certain car. various other crimes. Now, in this church, in Corinth, there are the worst of the worst. Now, they're not all bad. Be careful. Be careful, you see, because somebody will listen to me and say, well, so what you're saying, Mr. Lyshen, is, is I've got to be really bad before I can become a Christian. I've got to be a worst of worst people before I can trust in Jesus. No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that if you are that, there is still hope in the gospel for you. But, what Paul said, said was this. What he didn't say was, not any who are noble, not any who are capable, not any who are clever, not any of those that never be saved. No, I don't want any of them. They're too posh. They too think too much of themselves. No, not many. And one of my famous quotes, which you've heard millions of times, is the Countess of Huntington. Very posh lady, very educated, very well off. She supported the work of uh, George Whitfield in particular and others back in the 18th century. And she said that she was saved by the letter M. I said, what do you mean the letter M? She said, well, it doesn't say not any, it says not many. And I was the one. Not saved. Now people have high-ranking, high-intelligence, highly qualified. But they have to humble themselves. They have to humble themselves. And come as a sinner. And all the believers in God, every single one of them, are chosen by God. Sometimes I think, who else would choose Who else would help them? Take offense if I look at you and say, Who else would have you? Yes, perhaps. Who else would have this? Worst boy in the class. I spoke to a teacher 50 years on from Deacon School, Mr. Thomas. I said, You don't remember me on the phone first. You don't remember me, Mr. Thomas, but I was in school. Because God can have grace upon anybody, because God can save anybody, because God has elected anybody, we should be encouraged, greatly encouraged. I nearly finished. I want to tell you about Cardiff. Cardiff. Back in the day, Cardiff was a typical port, son, port area, the docks, uh, downtown, the famous street called Boot Street, which is what they call 
the red uh, light area if you don't know uh, the last right? Red light light area. Nowadays, it's a Cardiff Marina where all the Welsh yuppies are But I tell you something, the old dockers and people who live in Cardiff docks, Chiribasi came along. They needed a sail desperately. And some of them The tragedy is that the Welsh yuppies don't think they need a sail. And they do. As much as, if not more than, these old dockers. They know they're not right. They know they're living moral lives. They know that there's something better for them. They seem to be in the grip of sin. God, that's old-fashioned. Yes, my granny went to chapel, but I don't need to go to chapel. I'm self-sufficient. I'm, I'm okay. Thank God there's a little mission church down in the marina that has been blessed to God. I know the minister, the minister, a friend of mine, uh, went to work there with two or three. Now there's 50, 100. God says, I have people in the city. And my longing, I hope it's yours too, my longing is that God will say to us in God's word, not audibly, but through his word, don't be concerned. A work in Hailsham is tough. The worst thing about the work in Hailsham is that an interest amongst the outsiders. It's not that they're opposed to the gospel, just can't be bothered to think of us. How tragic it is. You know, I'd rather be slapped in the face. How be much worse. In opposition. How dare you say that to me? I'd rather have that than somebody say, oh, you're not interested. What? You're not interested in the eternal destiny of your soul? You're not interested in the fact you have to meet with God, this holy, righteous God who will judge you? You're not interested? Are you going to suffer eternally? You're not interested? You're not interested in the glory and the joy and the bliss of heaven with Jesus. You're not interested? What's the matter with you? Encouraged. I'm sure. His sovereign purposes. God has many people yet to be saved. What a privilege it would be an instrument. God, tell them about Jesus. There's nothing greater on earth, I tell you, than telling someone who's never known about Jesus. To see the effect of the Spirit's work in their heart. I must stop this. Father, we thank you for this little chapter. We love these stories in Acts. They're real stories and they're real people. Real difficulties, real opposition, real suffering, real trials, real tribulations, but also real changed hearts and lives. Oh, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done in times past. We thank you for what you've done in our hearts, in our lives. Some of us have known this, and it's so great. Thank you, Lord, for saving Along with other people in Hilsham, our district, they believe in this person. 
we come to faith in this. Father, it cannot be done naturally speaking. But it can be done supernaturally by the irresistible work of God the Holy Spirit. Bring your elect home. They're out there somewhere. We don't know who they are, what they look like, but they're out there. Some are the worst of the worst. Some think they're the best of the best. And whoever they are, whatever they are, bring them home. Please, Father, bring them home. Bring them to Jesus, because he deserves his precious name. Sing him seven hundred and nineteen. Seven hundred nineteen, you know it well as to the tune for Landia. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe, strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender, we rest on thee in thy name we go. Seven hundred.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest upon God's people here and everywhere until he shall come and then forevermore. Amen.